Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. We were discussing the topic of communities of knowledge in Islam. After establishing the importance of the notion of community in Islam, we said that the, within the larger community, there are smaller communities. And there are ways for us to join, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, there are ways for us to join those smaller communities if we match, if we meet the criteria, the characteristics of those who belong to those smaller communities. One of these smaller communities is the community of knowledge. And we said in general this is something that we can establish by deducing it logically as well as finding clear indications to these communities of knowledge in the Holy Quran and the narrations. Once we established all of this, we started to look a little bit more in depth or in detail what it means to belong to a community of knowledge. How do these communities of knowledge function? So the first discussion that we had is about who belongs to a community of knowledge. And the short answer we gave, even though we gave it in a detailed way, the short answer was that everyone must therefore belong to the community of knowledge in Islam. There is a specific place, a specific role for those who are learners. And there are specific roles for those who are teachers. Clearly those two are going to belong to the community of knowledge. But who else? And when we go through the narrations, when we go through the sayings of the Holy Prophet, the sayings of Ahl al-Bayt we saw that they clearly state that we must belong to the community of knowledge. If it is not as a teacher, then at least as a learner. And if it is not as a learner, then at least as someone who listens in or who sits in those gatherings or who at a bare minimum loves those gatherings. And so this means that everyone who belongs to the larger community has to try to find a way to have an association, to have a role, to have a presence in what these communities of knowledge are doing and the role that they perform. The second discussion that we had around all of this topic had to do with, and inshallah we're going to come back to more detail around the who, as we said, had to do with, therefore as a community, how should these communities function? The first question, the first detail, was around the idea of the source of that knowledge. Who should play the role of the leader or the role of the source of knowledge in a community? And we saw that in our religion, it gives a number of criteria, of characteristics, on who should assume that role. So this is important for us, anyone who is seeking knowledge, that this is what we have to aspire to, 
This becomes our own checklist. And as communities, when we bring someone in, or we want to give them that role, now we have a checklist against which we can assess their performance to see to what extent they are competent at playing this role of being a source of knowledge in the community. And we saw that the criteria that Ahlul Bayt were mentioning fell in all of the different categories that we could expect. Yes, of course we want the person to have specialized information about specifically about religion. But we saw that it went way beyond that. Yes, they are an expert, they are a specialist in their field. But beyond that, they are also someone who knows how to communicate the information. They understand how to position the information depending on the audience. They understand what are the priorities given what needs to be discussed, and so on and so forth. Not to repeat the characteristics. That was the first discussion. The second discussion we had was about the main mechanism that our religion proposes for these communities of knowledge. And we saw that the main mechanism, the main way for the communities of knowledge to work is through in-person gatherings. And so there was even, we even found details related to the frequency of these meetings from the Holy Prophet from the Imams saying that it should be at least once a week. And this opened the door to discussing and for us to understand the roles of Islamic centers, whether they're mosques or Husseiniyat or community centers, whatever they may be, that there has to be this sort of programming taking place. And that the gathering is not just a gathering under a general heading of religion. That's good. That's required and necessary. But that doesn't meet the criteria of the community of knowledge. There has to be a gathering specifically around knowledge, around acquiring knowledge, and we saw that the narrations don't stop at acquiring knowledge. It's not just about one way receiving information. There was an insistence on the idea of gathering in person to ask questions, to discuss with one another, which means that this is interactive, this is dynamic and taking place at a pretty regular frequency. There were discussions around the idea, so therefore, of the content, the topic to be discussed, and the format of these gatherings. Inshallah, all of that is clear. The importance that the community does not let this happen by itself on its own randomly. There is therefore a need for the community to think about this, to plan, to organize, to think strategically, how do we get this to work in the way that Islam says this is the ideal community of knowledge and this is how it functions. And we even saw that in the narrations when they started to discuss the importance of these meetings, of these gatherings, and that they are to the extent possible in person, that there was even a duty beyond the religious beyond the spiritual, beyond wanting to become a learner and to belong to the community, we saw that there was a direct mention that there is a duty towards knowledge itself. Imam Ali salam says that if these meetings do not play, take place regularly, then knowledge itself will disappear. Even though you may be able to find the knowledge elsewhere, 
In theory, the knowledge exists. The knowledge may be in the books. The knowledge may be in people's minds. But so long as people are not sitting together, discussing that knowledge, talking about it, then that knowledge will disappear. And as we said, this is exactly what happened in our Islamic history. Then we started to talk about the benefits of these gatherings. And a lot of these are clear, and so we went quickly through them. The benefits go beyond learning. Yes, we learn, and that part should be clear. But beyond that, we saw that the Holy Prophet, when he was talking about the importance of being in the presence of gatherings of scholarship, he was telling Imam Ali salam as part of his long advice to Imam Ali salam he was telling him, if 40 days pass and you do not attend these types of gatherings, then your heart is going to start hardening. And then you will be more daring to perform the greater sins. And so we went to the Holy Quran to start looking at this idea of the hardening of the heart. And we saw that there are many verses. We looked at five verses that talk about how the Holy Quran describes that the hearts harden to become as rocks, as stone, or even harder, the Quran says. And we saw that there was a very clear logic that the Quran describes. The Quran was saying, for instance, at first, the person keeps committing sins. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in other verses and He says, I have a covenant with you. I have a trust with you. And as you keep committing those sins, you break that covenant. If you break that covenant, that's when the heart starts to harden. When it hardens, there is no more fear of God and the heart opens to receiving the inspiration of the devil, the Quran says. You start listening in to the whispers and the inspirations of the devil. Your heart becomes desensitized and you move towards not only committing a sin, no, going deeper and deeper in the sins. That was a cycle that the Holy Quran describes when it talks about the hardening of the heart. How do we break that cycle? The Holy Prophet in the Hadith says you break that cycle by attending the gatherings of knowledge, which tells us a lot about what types of gatherings these have to be. And that's why the Holy Prophet says that it brings the hearts back to life. So it has to be gatherings that touch your heart. There have to be things that, are, that go beyond the, just the raw information. There has to be something spiritual about these gatherings. And then when we went through the other ahadith, we saw that they talk about many other benefits. Yes, you learn knowledge in some narrations. Others were talking about that they serve as a reminder. I remind you and you remind me. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. We may know the information, but we forget it. There is a lot that we have to remember. Sometimes we just need a little bit of a reminder. And the Quran says the reminder is good for those who believe. Those who don't believe, you can remind them and it will not have any effect. The believer can take good use of being reminded. We saw the ahadith that talk about the importance of encouraging each other, urging each other. When you're sitting all away from that community, there's no one who will remind you and you will not remind anyone. No one will encourage you and you will not, no one will urge you, push you, be better. You can be better than this. We can together be better than this. We saw the ahadith that talk about the 
utility or the benefit of social cohesion. You may get to know someone or they may get to know you. That person may be very useful to you later or you may be very useful to them later. That is all part of very important aims in our religion. And inshallah later in the series we'll talk about the social dimension in our religion. We saw how in the hadith there is a mention of the spirituality of these gatherings. And we said this is something that we all feel. It's a very different spirituality when you sit all alone at home on your prayer mat performing your prayer and then standing with a group of 40 or 50 or 100 or even 10 believers and performing the prayer. The energy is different. The spirituality is different. And that's why there is so much insistence in our ahadith that when you want to perform a lot of the prayers, perform them collectively. Don't perform them alone as an individual. Perform them as a group. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept it a lot more out of you. It shows a lot more sincerity that you worship together. And Imam Ali alayhi salam, and you remember the hadith, he was saying perhaps there is an expected mercy. Just attending these gatherings, you should expect an additional mercy. And then in addition to all of that, and I think we ended with this point, we said, out of embarrassment, Imam Ali alayhi salam was saying, in that hadith where he talks about the eight benefits of attending mosques, which apply to all gatherings around religion. The last one was what? You want to be better out of embarrassment, out of shame. During that time, at least during that time, those minutes that you are attending, out of shame, out of embarrassment from others, you will want to be on your best behavior. You will want to be as good as you can be. Of course, this does not mean that we're encouraging someone to be a hypocrite. That's not the idea. What we refer to here, we said it's like a life hack. Force yourself to be in a situation where you're not going to think about committing sins, where you are in an environment that keeps pushing you to want to be better. This is going to stay with you afterwards. When you're alone, this is still going to have an effect on you. So you're not a hypocrite. You believe in this. You're not pretending to believe in this. That would be a hypocrite. You do believe that this is better. So that makes you a believer. And this applies to all of us. We all make mistakes. We all have shortcomings. We all have weakness. So put yourself in a situation that forces you, that pushes you to be better. And what better than to be in a situation where you're surrounded by believers? And you look around and you see many of them are better than you. Why are they praying more? Why are they better at reciting Qur'an? Why do they have more knowledge? Why is their relationship with Ahlul Bayt stronger? I'm not lacking anything. I can have that same relationship. I can have that same knowledge. I can worship a little bit more. This stays with you afterwards. Which means that this is not an issue of, but this might be hypocrisy. This is not hypocrisy. Who among us will not benefit from this? To attend these places so that out of embarrassment you want to be better. And Imam Ali is saying this. This is human nature. That's why we always say our religion is designed, is tailored for our human nature. And when it gives us these ways out, 
When it makes things easier, facilitates us being better, we should take full advantage of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could say, this does not count. No reward for this. You cannot do this. If you do this, this is pure hypocrisy. You're not sincere enough. Whatever is inside has to match 100% what's outside all the time. No, our religion does not say that. It says, we know that you can be better. And you know you can be better. But you will be weak. You'll make mistakes. You'll have shortcomings. But there are ways and there are things you can do to be better. Use them. They'll push you. They'll force you. And you'll keep getting better and better. So we ended with this. So inshallah, today we want to continue with this discussion of who should belong to this community of knowledge. We already talked about a few categories. Now we want to look at the ahadith that talk about the grouping categories that are grouped together based on age. Some of these ahadith we have looked at earlier in the series when we were talking about the learner. We want to look at them from another angle. Some of them may be new to some of you. When we go to the teachings in our religion, there is no doubt that there is an insistence, there is an emphasis put in our religion that we should learn as early as possible in our lives. The younger we are, the more our religion says, efforts should be made that those who are younger learn. And we're going to see a few of the ahadith related to this. The point we want to end with, however, is that this is not exclusive. Our religion does not say you only learn when you are young. In fact, the insistence in our religion seems to be giving us the impression that the majority of those who are learning were not the young. And we should know that our religion, in terms of nuance, in terms of complexity, in terms of depth, it's not meant to be learned by children. It talks about too many things that require maturity and depth and complexity that you will never fully grasp when you don't have enough experience in life. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we only focus on the aspect of religion that says learn where, while you are young. Religion is for children. So you have to learn Quran when you're a child. And you stop when you're an adult. You learn fiqh when you're a child. You learn sirah when you're a child. You learn akhlaq when you're a child. And there's an emphasis on this. There are programs around this. Great, and it's necessary as we will see. But our religion says it doesn't stop there. And we spent too much time throughout the series. We're now at lecture 86, I believe. We spent too many lectures talking about how our religion says we must be Continuous learners. Until the moment we die, our religion says, you learn. You do not stop learning. A good Muslim, a good believer, has a program of learning all the time. And that's why we said, this is where the hadith that talks about the frequency of at least once a week. The Holy Prophet says, will the believer not at least give a few hours once a week to learning the religion? This is the minimum the Holy Prophet is talking about. He's not saying a few hours a week to worship. That's there all the time, necessary. No, no, to learn. There has to be a learning program. So inshallah, we're going to come back to this point. The first hadith from the Holy Prophet he says, 
مثل الذي يتعلم العلم في صغره كالنقش على الحجر ومثل الذي يتعلم العلم في كبره كالذي يكتب على الماء So the Holy Prophet وآله, he says the one who learns knowledge at a young age is like carving in stone and the one who learns knowledge at an older age is like writing on water. We're going to have to come back to the second part of the hadith as we just said. Let's focus on the first part for now. First, there should be no doubt, and here there's an indication very clear from the Holy Prophet that a human being's memory, your ability to memorize and to retain information and to keep that information for later is much greater when you're younger. This is the main point of the hadith. This is what the hadith means. When you learn when you are young, it is as though someone is carving in stone. Is it easy to remove that carving afterwards? No. It stays there. It might stay there for thousands of years. It's much more difficult to remove that carving than, and the Holy Prophet he uses a metaphor, it's like, it's right, like someone who's writing on water. Does anything stay when you write on water? Nothing stays. It's like as you age, the extreme of your age, your memory is like water. When you try to bring in new information on it, nothing stays. Does this mean, therefore, we should stop learning when we are older? We're going to see the ahadith about this. This hadith is urging to learn when we are young. It's addressing those who are young, yet mature enough, wise enough to understand. And it's talking to everyone else. As a community, we have to think about this. As parents, we have to think about this and say, what does this mean? But those of us who are young, and all of us are young, in the sense that we are getting older. If there's anything that you feel you should be learning, learn it now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow you are a day older. You will be a week older and a month older and a year older and 10 years older and 20 years older. Start now. Don't wait. Your memory is much stronger. And yes, of course, memory does not just happen by itself. Naturally, your memory is stronger now than it will ever be later in life. What you will maybe be able to gain if you practice your memory, someone who memorizes the Qur'an, for instance, will know this. Someone who memorizes sermons or memorizes a hadith will know this. Memory is like a muscle. When you start out, it's difficult. You have to use it. The more you use it, the more you learn how to use it. And it becomes easier and easier to learn things afterwards. At the beginning, it's very hard. When you start learning the Qur'an, every word is a struggle. To add a second word to the first you learned is a struggle. To remember all the harakat and how you're supposed to say it. After a while you can learn a whole line by heart. After a while you can learn three lines by heart. Or half a page. Or a full page in one sitting. And much, much more. Depending on how strong your memory has become. It's like a muscle. That whole process of learning, however, you can do it when you're two and three and four years old. Or you can do it when you're 10 and 13 and 15. Or you can do it when you're 50. Or you can do it when you're 70. 
It always works. Except that for you, when you do it when you are three and four years old, this is going to stay much more in your memory as when you are 40 and 50. Your own memory is much stronger. Don't compare yourself to someone else's. Their memory is also much stronger when they are younger. This is what the hadith is saying. Your capacity to memorize is much greater when you are young. So start using it when you are young. Learn in your youth. It's much more difficult afterwards. There's a whole discussion that we can have around this. I'm going to skip the details. I think the, the points are clear. A lot of this, of course, also has to do with lifestyle. A lot of this has to do with the circumstances of life. Your memory might be there. You might not have the energy or the time or the dedication to put into learning anymore. When you're young, you have less responsibility or no responsibility. When you're old, you have many, many more things to think about. If they are not taking away anything from your memory, at least they are taking away from your time and energy to sit and learn, to sit and memorize. You have that luxury when you are younger. So take full advantage as much as possible. The second hadith. As we said, there is a second half to this hadith. Keep it in mind because the second half was when we learn in old age or when we are older, and this applies to all of us, no matter when that older is, when you learn when you are older, the extreme of that is like writing on water, the Holy Prophet says. So you have much less ability to memorize. So keep that part in mind. We want to comment on it a little bit later. The second hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, مَنْ سَأَلَ فِي صِغَرِهِ أَجَابَ فِي كِبَرِهِ the one who asks questions when they are young, in their youth, they will be the one who answer those questions in their maturity, adulthood, old age. This is because this person took the time to learn. And if they learned enough, they will become the expert. They will be the one who carries this knowledge. When others are asking because they never learned those things, they now have to find this person who learned. And this is related to the next hadith. This is simply to highlight the importance of starting younger. But keep this idea in mind. The next hadith from Imam Ali salam, which I think goes much deeper, because he's referring to something much more explicitly. It's not just your ability to answer questions that the Imam is talking about. He says, تَعَلَّمُ الْعِلْمَ صِغَارًا Learn or acquire knowledge in your youth, in your childhood, in your young age, so that you become masters with that knowledge in your maturity, in your adulthood. Masters of what? Masters of everything. You do not only become those who have authority in knowledge, if you learned and you became experts, you are going to be the ones who have the positions of authority and power and rule and responsibility in society. You have authority in the world. 
and this is a very key notion, we started this entire series by saying that we today live in a complex world and many of the most advanced societies in the world, if not all of them, they are attempting to transform themselves, to revolutionize themselves, to take themselves out of a phase. Initially it was called the industrial and then the post-industrial and now they are knowledge societies. They go through an evolution. Inshallah, we're going to come back to this point a little bit later. Just as a reminder to close off the topic of the community of knowledge, as a reminder, what is a community of knowledge in today's contemporary world? When they say community of knowledge, what do they mean? And we compare with what we saw in our religion. But in today's world, as a reminder, all of the most advanced societies are trying to move from, first they try to become information societies, and then they try to become knowledge societies. What's special in a knowledge society? How is it different than any other type of society? In all the previous types of society, the thing that was called the commodity, the capital, the thing that had most value in the world, used to be the things of the world. How much land do you own? Machinery. Things that create value. Those societies were built in that way. And then all of the economy was around that. So you had to use your best and brightest in that way. In that way to increase your capital and increase your value as a society. Until you reach knowledge societies and information societies. Where they say the greatest capital... The greatest value in those societies is knowledge. The more, as a society, the more you can consume knowledge, use the existing knowledge, digest it, and generate new knowledge, the more you become a knowledge society. And that has a lot more value. And so I have to transform my workforce in my society to create knowledge workers. And that's how I rule the world. And that's how I create value. Everything else is still needed, but I can use knowledge to use others to get what I need out of them. This was a very big eureka or aha moment that happened over the past century. Where you see all the big, most advanced societies start to move very quickly in that direction. Trying to understand how do you create it? What do you need to put in place? What do you need to eliminate so that you can move in this direction and create knowledge societies? And the key is, the one who has knowledge, the one who can control knowledge, the whole cycle of knowledge, from the moment it's generated to the who can use it, who has access to it, what can they do with it, and can you generate your own knowledge, that cycle makes or gives you authority in the world. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, تَعَلَّمُوا الْعِلْمَ صِغَارًا تَسُودُوا بِهِ كِبَارًا The younger you are when you acquire this knowledge, the more chances you will have when you are older to become the ones who become masters through that knowledge. Your authority in society is not how much wealth you have. 
It's not how much land you have. It's how much knowledge, Imam Ali says. You can rule over anything. You can mas be masters over anything. And this means it does not be, need to be limited to the strict sense of religion. And that's why we say in our understanding of religion, religion is very wide, very broad, very deep. It covers everything human beings need in their lives as individuals and as societies. The Imam is saying learn knowledge in all of that. So as communities, an additional layer for us as communities, we need to sit together and think what are the types of knowledge that are required today that we need to learn so that this applies to us? How do we structure our learning program so that this works for us? If we're focusing on our youth, let's say, the hadith is talking about the youth. Which learning programs, which training should we be giving to our youth so that it moves in this direction, so that they truly become the masters of the world, as Imam Ali says. This cannot be random. This requires thinking, organizing, planning, being strategic. This is if we understand the depth of these words. Otherwise, we're just going to keep recreating the same thing. And as they say, you're, you sit back and you watch the world pass by. Imam is giving you the keys. He's telling you not only can you move hand in hand with the rest of the world, you can in fact lead it. We're not even moving hand in hand with it. Step lock, uh, in step lock as they say, in lockstep. We're behind. We're completely missing the boat. In any case. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Ya ma'ashara al-fityan, hassinu a'radakum bil-adab wa deenakum bil-ilm. So Imam Ali alayhi salam, here he's talking directly to the youth. He says, O young people, protect your dignity. So ird can require a good discussion of everything that it can include. Let's simply call it your dignity. Protect your dignity with good manners and your religion with knowledge. So to me, this is a, an incredible piece of advice from Imam Ali He summarized a lot in a very few words. And he talked about things that today are at the heart, at the core of what many of our communities consider to be very big crises that we're going through. Everything that falls under the notions of chastity, how you're supposed to conduct yourself, and how things are becoming confused, ambiguous, we're not sure what to do. Imam Ali says, there's a way to safeguard and protect all of this so that you never fall into issues related to dignity and in short the imam says the protection there is adab good manners work on good manners train them make them better don't take it easily don't consider this don't underestimate the importance of good manners this leads to much greater chastity. 
That's one. And then two, he says, and protect, safeguard your religion. Hasinu is create immunity around. Your religion, your faith, create the immunity around it with what? With knowledge. Many of us hear the words. As communities, we hear the words. But this is not what we actually do. We don't put things in practice related to this. Imam Ali السلام, says the way you create immunity around your religion is not simply by repeating a ritual. It's not just by doing something like it's a checklist and you just go through the checklist. The key, the secret ingredient to protecting your faith, your belief, so that it's not at risk, it's not in danger, Imam Ali السلام, says, is through knowledge. And this is why we said earlier, the importance that our religion gives to knowledge over everything else. Why? Because this is what gives meaning to the actions that we're doing. When we create programs, whether it's for ourselves or for others, for the youth or anyone else, within our families or the greater community, the first step has to be knowledge. And unfortunately, in today's world, for all sorts of reasons, in today's world, we don't really have the appreciation or the patience for knowledge. Religion cannot be learned, just like any other field, cannot be truly learned by watching short clips and shorts on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. Religion is deep and complex. It requires specialization expertise just like you would expect if you study any other field listening to a few lectures here and there is not going to give you what Imam Ali السلام, is talking about watching little clips here and there is not going to be enough they're interesting facts they might be entertaining they might serve as excellent reminders but they won't create the depth of knowledge that will make your faith and belief immune. Imam says, حصنوا, create a حصن, a fortress around your belief, around your faith. How do you do that? He's talking to the youth. How do you do that? With knowledge. Knowledge needs patience, dedication. You sit and you endure and you learn. This is knowledge. This is what will create the immunity. And then you're ready to stand up to anything that comes your way. Unshakable. Bring it on. My faith is deep. It's anchored in knowledge. I know the dangers and the risks and the issues. Before they come my way, I already know them. And I know the answers to them. As opposed to every little ambiguity and every confusing question is going to shake me to the core. Make me doubt everything. That means it's a lack of knowledge. There's something missing in the faith. The faith is very shallow. It's superficial. So it's easy to influence, easy to shake up. The moment you encounter something you're not aware of, you don't know, 
It's going to shake you to the core. Muhammad says, the program therefore for the youth work on two things, good manners and knowledge. With that you create immunity. Next hadith. We spent a lot of time on this hadith earlier in the series, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it now. Imam Sajjad and his famous rights, he talks about the right of the youth or the child. He says, These are the rights of the young over those who are older in Islam. Imam Sajjad says the right of the young is that you treat them with compassion and mercy in teaching them and forgiving them and concealing their faults and showing them kindness or gentleness and assisting them or helping them. These are the rights of those who are younger in Islam. The key for us is the right. The Imam says, the first right of the person who is younger is to show them compassion and mercy. Rahmah. But the Imam says, وَحَقُّ الصَّغِيرَ رَحْمَتُهُ فِي تَعْلِيمِهِ It's as though the Imam is saying, the greatest way you show the mercy to that child, to the youth, the greatest mercy you can give them and show them, في تعليمه, in teaching them. Yes, show them mercy in every other way that the Imam talks about. But the first one is teaching them. Share knowledge with them. There's a lot that more that we can say here. I'm skipping the parts that we covered earlier when we talked about this hadith. We simply said, or this part of Rasalat al-Huquq of Imam al-Sajjad salam, we simply said that through this we can create a whole theory of education in Islam. The aspects that the Imam is referring to here. How do you do upbringing, Islamic upbringing? What are some of the, the tenets, the foundations of Islamic upbringing? And the Imam starts by highlighting, by talking about showing mercy through teaching. Okay. So from these ahadith, a few conclusions. The first one, inshallah this one is clear, is that there needs to be a focus as our religion tries to focus on the teaching of those who are young. <coughs> the younger you are, the more our religion says you should be learning. Whether you are aware of this and doing your part and your effort because you have wisdom and good judgment and so on and so forth, that's great. If not, as parents, as communities, this has to be front and center. We have to do what we can to create training, education, learning programs for those who are younger. So long as, you know, if we understand younger, younger is not a specific age. Of course, this can be tailored to specific ages. 
I just say this in passing. So clearly, from these ahadith and many others that we saw earlier and many others that we don't have time to go through, there is an emphasis in our religion about prioritizing learning for the youth. This is first point. The second point, inshallah, from these few ahadith, it's clear that we need to be strategic. As a community, as parents, we need to think, how do we create, how do we design training, learning programs for these youth? Who teaches? What do they teach? At what frequency? In what format? So that we behave in a way that matches the teachings that we find in these ahadith. There's a whole discussion that I'm going over very quickly. Why is it that in our religion there is this push for those who are younger to learn as much as possible? We hinted to it in a couple of ahadith. Yes, they have a greater capacity to learn, either because they are built and designed that way. Human beings learn better when they're younger, and it stays with them longer. Okay, that's one. Or because they have the time and the energy to dedicate to learning, whereas others are busy with life. That's a really good other reason for it. But there's a lot more here if we wanted to spend more time on this topic. But I want to move on to the other side of the medal here. Part of it has to do with expertise. It takes time to become an expert at something. As good as it is, as important as it is to have a lot of people who are who acquire or who have general knowledge. You have a little bit of knowledge about everything. That's great. Are you a specialist in anything or not? That specialization requires time, experience, energy. You cannot get right away. This is quality. And our religion is always looking for quality. Superficial, shallow knowledge is okay. But that's not really your distinction. So to get that deep, specialized knowledge, you need a lot more time. Which means you better start earlier. That's one main point. I'm not going to emphasize it more. Keep that in mind. I want to combine it with a second point. The second point has to do with how a society evolves, how a community grows up, matures. When you have a community that is just random, without planning, normal circumstances, you will have a lot of individual efforts. You will have individuals who are good. But the community lacks cohesion, and it never actually grows and evolves from one phase to another, one stage to another. Or if it does, it's very, very slow. The rest of society is moving faster. So it's always trying to play catch up. The issue with individual efforts in life in general, unless you happen to be in very special circumstances that you don't control, Individual efforts always mean you're always starting from scratch. You're always starting from the beginning. 
you have to go through learning by yourself on your own. It will always take you longer. You don't have expertise in all of those fields. You have to go through a lot of content to find the gems, to find the right things and to learn them in the right way and to learn what to focus on and how best to learn it and how best to teach it. This all takes years of experience and practice. Imagine someone who does that and they become a specialist and they do this for 30 years. And then they want to share this with the next person. Now compare the two scenarios. Now we've moved from one generation in the community to the next generation. The person who is receiving this knowledge, in, case, in the first case, let's say they are 15 years old. They are receiving the synthesis the conclusion of the efforts of 30 years of specialization and expertise at 15. And in case B, the other scenario, the person who is receiving it is 45 years old. What is being received is amazing in both cases. It's 30 years of specialization and expertise being passed on to you. As a community, which community is going to actually grow and evolve a lot more? Wouldn't it be the one where the 15 years old, the 15 year olds are the ones who are receiving this type of specialized, experienced knowledge passed on to them? Will they not have a lot more opportunity to do something with it? This is not to say it should only be passed on to them. But of course they will have a lot more opportunity to do something with that knowledge. They may not realize what they're receiving. They may not understand why suddenly they are amazing with the knowledge that they have. They don't realize what has been passed on to them. They might one day, when they compare to other knowledge in other communities and so on and so forth. But that's, not, that's irrelevant. But as a community, the growth of that community, the evolution of that community, if the information is being passed on to the younger generation and it is planned... There's strategic thinking and planning around it so that this is constantly being passed on to the next generation at a younger age. You accelerate the evolution of that, the growth of that community. And I say this because I know that there are many who are listening to these lectures who deeply care about beyond the individual as important as we are as individuals. Beyond the individual, we are also collectives and communities. How do we engineer our communities? How do we plan for them? How do we do this in a strategic way? Thinking about the future. How do we do it in a way where everyone in the community has a specific role to play? They understand that role and they move towards it. This creates a completely different type of world. And we have all these teachings explicitly stated in the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt so, these were the main conclusions and the main points we have from one aspect of the conversation. We're still talking about who belongs to a community of knowledge. Now we know that one of the groups that belong to that community of knowledge are the youth. Is this an excuse for those who do not consider themselves to be in the category of the youth 
not to learn. Is it enough to say, I am too old? I'm no longer a youth? The youth need this more than me? I don't have time, I don't have energy, it's like riding on water. Is that enough? As an excuse or not? So we want to look at the other side. To see that our religion did not leave this under silence. It has very clear instructions and it urges and it encourages and it teaches very in a very specific way. It has something to say to every category. The first hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, مَنْ لَمْ يَطْلُبِ الْعِلْمَ صَغِيرًا فَطَلَبَهُ كَبِيرًا فَمَاتْ مَاتَ شَهِيدًا So the Holy Prophet says, if someone does not seek knowledge in their youth, but they seek it in their older age, and then they die, they die a martyr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers this person to have given up their life for his sake. So they die in a state of learning. This is someone who is still learning when they die. So this is, this is a beautiful hadith. This is an incredible hadith. The first part, the first point of the hadith is once again a reminder of how our religion is structured. It talks about two things very quickly in the beginning. It says, if someone did not seek knowledge in their youth, our religion knows that life is not perfect. Our religion knows that we are not perfect. Maybe some of us really wanted to learn more when we were younger. We did not have the circumstances for it. The right circumstances never happened. Maybe we simply did not have the maturity, the wisdom, the good judgment to even want to learn when we were younger. Regardless, this is how the hadith starts. Someone who is no longer, no longer considers themselves to be youth. And they did not learn in their youth. So now what? So the Holy Prophet says, so this person is now seeking knowledge. فَطَلَبَهُ kabira. They are seeking the knowledge. You are making an effort to go get that knowledge. You're showing that you want to go get that knowledge. That's it. That's the only condition. Regardless of your age, you are now seeking the knowledge. The conclusion, the Holy Prophet says, if the person dies, or when the person dies, because they will die, if they die in that state of seeking knowledge, they are a shaheed. They are a martyr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers this person a martyr. And we talked about the notion of shahada in the Quran and how it is used. So that's the first point. It is never too late. The circumstances of your life did not allow you to learn. You did not have good judgment. You did not make good decisions in your youth. doesn't matter. That's gone. Now you're old. Older or old. Is it too late? No. Our religion says it's not too late. The only thing required of you is to seek it. You still want to learn that knowledge. That's the first point. The second point, and this is an important one. This is one of the ahadith that even though it doesn't say the words this way, clearly the hadith recognizes that learning knowledge is a struggle. 
And that's why I say knowledge cannot be shorts that you watch on your phone. That's not knowledge. Knowledge is a struggle. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is dealing with you as though you are a martyr, it's because of how difficult it is to learn knowledge, especially in older age. I think we would still all agree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being extremely generous just for seeking knowledge. We are dealt with as though we are a martyr. But this is in recognition. This is how our religion appreciates and recognizes that truly seeking knowledge is not easy. But the reward that comes with it is incredible. It's worth it. And that it is never too late. That struggle can be, if we refer to the previous hadith earlier, for instance, like writing on water, the struggle can be intellectual. The struggle can often also be social. What will people think? I'm older. Shouldn't I already know all of this? It's fiqh, sirah, akhlaq, Quran, whatever it may be. I should know all of this. It's embarrassing for me to go back and learn. That's a different kind of struggle. And this is definitely meant, intended in the hadith. This is why the reward is so great. It's not easy. And there's an insistence on this in our religion. That our religion says, our God says, our prophets say, all the imams say, we know it might be embarrassing. We know that it will be difficult for some of you to go and learn when you're older. But don't let that stop you. This is where the reward comes from. And we're going to see a hadith related to this. The third quick point related to this hadith, another reminder that in our religion, the seeking of knowledge actually doesn't stop. When can you stop based on this hadith and many others like it? When we die. You meet God in a state of seeking knowledge. You are seeking knowledge until the end. And that's why the Quran says, or we went through the verses of the Quran that talk about knowledge. The hadith, all of them say, you should be in a state of seeking knowledge until the end. This has great value. There's no point at which you say, I've learned everything there is to know. That's enough for me. I don't need to learn anything more in religion. Next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, now related to this, keeping in mind what we just said. The Holy Prophet says, لا يستحي الشيخ أن يتعلم العلم كما لا يستحي أن يأكل الخبز That's the first hadith. So, let not the old man feel ashamed to learn, to seek knowledge, as he is not ashamed to eat bread. Is it shameful to eat when you're hungry? No. It should be something completely natural. You shouldn't give it a second thought. You're hungry, you go, and the Holy Prophet used a very very pointed, very intentional example, I think. He said it's like eating bread. Maybe if he mentioned eating something else, someone might object about the thing being eaten. Eating bread, is there's nothing more natural than that. So the Holy Prophet uses that in his example. Would anyone object to someone just eating bread because they're hungry? No. That's the most natural thing to do. 
What about learning? The Holy Prophet says, the old man wanting to learn should feel the same ease, should feel the same natural state of wanting to learn and learning as someone who is hungry and eating bread. It should be that easy and that natural, that second nature for the person. So that's first. The other hadith related to this, the Holy Prophet says, لا يستحي الشيخ أن يجلس إلى جنب الشاب فيتعلم منه العلم Let not the old man feel ashamed to sit beside or before a young man to acquire knowledge from him. So this goes a step further because the Holy Prophet now, and the first one it was general. It was simply the old man should not be ashamed of learning. Now he's going a step further. In fact, I would argue he's going two steps further. Because the previous step would have been for this sheikh, for this senior, older person, to sit beside others who are very young and to learn. No, the Holy Prophet went one step further. And he said, he should not be ashamed if the person teaching is much younger. And clearly they are sitting in a state of, they are a learner. And the younger person is a teacher. This is how a lot of knowledge used to happen. Classes were not always held in the past. It was one person sitting, teaching another person beside them. A lot of knowledge happened this way earlier. So the Holy Prophet is describing this situation exactly. Go seek knowledge, even if it means you have to sit beside a teenager or a young man, and you're a senior, and you're recognized, and you're respected, and you have social status and authority in society, but you're learning. There's no shame in that. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Go learn. So I think the idea of having to overcome our shyness, our embarrassment should be clear. And this should also be part of our thinking as communities. I don't want to emphasize it too much. I think it's clear. But this needs to be part of how we think as communities. Inshallah, I'll circle back to it in the conclusion. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, أُوصِيكُمْ بِخَمْسٍ لو ضربتم إليها آباط الإبل لكانت لذلك أهلا. I want to give you five pieces of advice that if you were to hit the armpits of your camels, it would be worthy of it. So you hit the armpits of the camels when you're traveling either a long distance or fast. Okay, if you have to travel to receive each one of these pieces of advice, it would be worthy for it. Keep the camels going so that they attain these five pieces of advice. Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah. The first one, لا يرجوان أحد منكم إلا ربه. Do not hope, do not have hope except in God. Your reliance should be entirely in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That's one. ولا يخاف ولا يخافن إلا ذنبه. And you should only fear one thing, which is your sin. 
And then the two pieces that have to do with knowledge. وَلَا يَسْتَحْيَنَّ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ إِذَا سُئِلْ لَا يَعْلَمْ أَنْ يَقُولْ لَا أَعْلَمْ Do not be ashamed if you are asked about that which you do not have knowledge about to say, I do not know. If you don't know, say, I don't know. And with that, the Imam right away says, وَلَا يَسْتَحْيَنَّ أَحَدٌ إِذَا لَمْ يَعْلَمِ الشَّيْءِ and yet And do not be ashamed if you do not have knowledge of something to learn it. These go together. Now that you realize that you don't know, go learn it. Don't be ashamed to say, I don't know, and then this should urge you to go and learn. So go learn. And then the Imam continues with his fifth piece of advice because he said five, so let's complete them. وَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالصَّبْرِ فَإِنَّ صَبْرَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ كَالْرَأْسِ مِنَ الْجَسَدِ وَلَا خَيْرَ فِي جَسَدٍ لَا رَأْسَ مَعَهِ وَلَا فِي إِيمَانٍ لَا صَبْرَ مَعَهِ He says, hold on to patience, for patience to faith is like the head to a body. Just like there is no use or no good in a body that has no head, so there is no use in faith that is not accompanied with patience. So the Imam is saying five pieces of advice. They are worthy. This is a, an expression that he's using. These, each one of these pieces of advice would be worthy for you to travel far and wide to go and acquire them. The first one and the second one have to do with fear and hope. And we've talked about this. In today's language, and to keep it simple, we would say this is the carrot and the stick. Every human being needs something to motivate them with hope and fear. Jannah and Nar. Imam says, let your hope, the carrot that moves you and creates drive in you and motivation in you is what? Is God. That's what you act for. That's your motivation. That's it and including your reliance in Him and your trust in Him. And on the other side, if you want to fear, which is a call to bravery, and if you want to fear anything, fear your sin. Don't fear anything else. Only fear your sin, which is fear of God. So fear and hope are the first and second pieces of advice. The fifth piece of advice, patience. And then he dedicates two pieces of advice to knowledge out of five we could say the imam just summarized all of islam with fear and hope you've included the majority of the teachings of islam with patience you've included the majority of the ethical dimension of islam what's left out of five the imam dedicates two pieces of advice to knowledge he gives you two sides of it he doesn't just say knowledge is important no, he says it in a different way. He says, if you do not know, you are asked about something and you do not know, say, say the words, I do not know. And if you do not know, the Imam says, then don't be embarrassed. Don't be too shy to go and learn. And those two go together. This is a call to seeking knowledge. You can't stop halfway and say, I don't know, and then the second one doesn't apply. Now you've said the words, you've admitted 
Don't they say the first step is recognizing that there is an issue, that there's a mistake, there's a problem, there's a gap? That's it. You've said the word, I do not know. So what are you waiting for? Go learn. And then the Imam emphasizes the point of, and do not be ashamed to do so. Okay, so this again links back to old age cannot become an excuse for not learning. I'm looking at the time, so maybe a good point to wrap up this topic. Hatta inshallah, next time we begin a new heading. So when we look at the second part of the discussion, and the first part we emphasized and we focused on learning at a young age. And the second part we emphasized learning an older age. The first point very clearly is that Islam is emphasizing the idea of today. This is a term, by the way, in education systems, in training, learning, organizational development, and professional development, and so on and so forth. They call it continuous learning. You have to create a culture of continuous learning. Islam is talking about continuous learning. Learning does not stop at a certain point. This has to keep going until the end. That's the first point. And because of what we said earlier about the community of knowledge, we said that learning can be in the weak sense, at least be in those gatherings and attend those sittings. If you are not formally and officially a learner, then at least stay in that world. Attend those gatherings, be there in person, be part of it, so that at least with yourself you can say, I am a lover of this world. I understand this world and I contribute to it and I support it, even though I am not officially a learner myself. That's the first point. The second point is that we have to take it to the next level for ourselves and think beyond just the knowledge. When our religion is emphasizing on knowledge and we want to just look at what are the children learning and what are the youth learning and we forget everyone else. Where is the spirituality supposed to come from? There has to be something that recharges you. There has to be new information that comes in that you have to think about and you have to discuss and there's a give and take, so that at the end it generates something in you that makes you feel something. And that's why the Holy Prophet emphasizes so much. He says, the heart, hearten, the heart hardens. It becomes like a rock if you do not attend the gatherings of scholarship. There's a spirituality around these. So the reminders on one side and the new knowledge on one side related to the spirituality. We saw enough ahadith that clearly state for us today that we need, even for ourselves, as adults, as parents, as members of a community, we need new knowledge so that we can lead ourselves, our families, and our communities. There is a constant flow of knowledge that we need. The importance of leading by example. It's one thing to constantly send the youth to learning programs. It's another for the youth to actually see people who are older coming, attending programs of learning. Then they see that this is part of who we are as a community. 
This is something that is present and everybody witnesses and everybody goes through. There's a lot less convincing required for the youth when they see that those who are older attend programs of learning. That learning is simply a natural part of who we are as a community. The complexity of today's world. What we used to know, if it's knowledge that came to us from decades or centuries ago, may or may not work as is for today's world. If we truly believe that our religion is meant for all times and all societies, it still has something to say and something to teach for today's world, the answer must come from knowledge. What is the Islamic answer to? And you can fill in the blank to any question you may have in today's complex world. Politics, economy, family, society, health, go on. The answer is most likely not going to come from something that comes to us as is from decades or centuries ago. It has to be discovered. It has to be discussed. It has to be talked about together as a community. This is another reason why the gatherings of knowledge become important. Let's see what we have in our stock, what we have inherited in our tradition, bring it forth, put it on the table, present it as knowledge and discuss it as knowledge to see did Islam say anything about it or not? Can we take it as is? Great. Do we need to adapt it, go further, modify it, tailor it to the conditions that we're in? If so, great. That's what we're doing. This is what the gatherings of knowledge are meant for. And then finally, in conclusion, it would be a huge mistake to think that our religion is simply saying, that knowledge is for the youth, and knowledge is for children. And all, all learning programming, all educational programming, all training related to religion in our communities is just dedicated to the youth. Inshallah, this point is clear for the importance of knowledge itself, for the importance of being good Muslims, for the necessity of knowledge in today's world, and I want to argue a point that I have mentioned in the past. Perhaps if we had effective learning programming for others in the community, for everyone in the community, we would most likely need a lot less for the youth. Because really, at the end of the day, how much programming can you create artificially for the youth? The majority of it, if you can, has to be what is learned naturally. You watch your parents. You watch what's happening in the family. This is the main source of knowledge. One hour here and there in the week is not going to be the knowledge that you need. This is a complement. This is an addition to. If there's a lot more happening at the rest of the level of the family and the community, there's probably going to be less need for this constant push only for, the exclusive push for training and educational and learning programming for the children and the youth. There's a lot more competence that will exist naturally 
that will be passed on to the next generations. Much more to discuss, but I'll stop here. We're out of time. So inshallah, the next time we meet, we'll continue with the discussion of the community of knowledge with the new heading. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين